This is what Paul is saying. He's pointing out to us in this text, okay, this is who you are without Christ, but this is who Christ is for you. And this is how big your problem with sin actually is. And this is how big the grace of God really is. I told you I only have one goal with this morning's sermon, and that's that God's grace would grow in your heart. And I'm pushing hard on this sin so that we can have a little bit of self-realization. Because self-knowledge leads to knowledge of God's grace and knowledge of how big our personal problem is with sin leads us to know how great God's grace has been personally for us. Because it is by grace that you have been saved. The sermon that you're about to hear is from Pastor Paul Borman at Hope Lutheran Church, located in Tigard, Oregon. For more information and for more content, go to hopeintigard.com. So, la grazia, it is by grace you have been saved through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. Let's dig into that this morning with Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Paul writes, As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is God's word. Every once in a while, we get a text like this. And what we got to do when we get a text like this is we need to just stop for a second. We need to stop and realize and see that this is it. This is it. This is a text that has been parsed and preached and analyzed and analogized and poeticized. This is it. This is the heart of the gospel. This is the centrality of Christ. This is the epicenter of grace. This is it. This is law and gospel. This is anthropology. This is Christology. This is theology. This is soteriology. All these high-level theological words that explain to us everything that is inside this text. This is it. This is a teaching on on who mankind is. This is a teaching on who God is. This is a teaching on how people are saved. This is it. And sometimes 
when we have a text like this, what we need to do is we need to stop. And see, this is it. It is by grace you have been saved, and that's it. I've only got one goal for this morning's sermon, and that goal is that the grace of God grows in your heart. I can guess that that many of you, most of you, maybe even all of you are here this morning because you know the grace of God already, but the sermon is still for you. And so I want to challenge you this morning to open your heart wide to this text because this text is going to reveal ourselves and it's going to reveal God. It's going to show us his grace. For it is by grace you have been saved. Let's dig into this. Grace, by definition, is love that is undeserved. It is undeserved love. That means that by that definition, grace begins with something unlovable. That's where Paul begins this text. He begins it by saying, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Dead, Paul says. And we know that dead is dead. When something is dead, there's no reaction, there's no life, there's nothing there. I was listening to a pastor whose sermons I really enjoy listening to, and he was telling the story of a pastor that he knew who was giving a devotion to a family who had just lost a loved one. And he was standing in the front of the room, the family was facing him, the body was in the back of the room, and he was giving them a devotion before the funeral saying, Grandpa's not in his body anymore. He's up in heaven with Jesus, that's just a body at the back of the room. And as he was speaking, the little five-year-old grandson, he heard this and he heard, Grandpa's not there anymore. And he snuck off without anybody else seeing, and to the pastor's horror, because he could see this, The little boy went to the back of the room and just went, boink, 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 boink. (laughs) Started poking the body. And dead is dead is dead is dead, right? There's no reaction there. There's no life there. There's nothing there. I know it's kind of a Halloween kind of story. Happy Halloween, right? But it illustrates for us that dead is dead. And Paul calls us spiritually dead. Dead to God, dead to truth, dead to right and wrong, dead to what matters, dead to true love, dead to the gospel, dead is dead, is dead, is dead. I want to tell you what being spiritually dead doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that that we have been beaten up by our sin and we're by the side of the road and we need Jesus to stop and patch us up. That's that's not what being spiritually dead is. And it does not mean that, that we're drowning in sin and that we need Jesus to throw us a lifeline that we can grab onto and pull ourselves out. And it does not mean that, that Jesus gives us exactly what we need so that we can accept him into our hearts because dead things can't accept things. Dead is dead is dead is dead. It's like one Christian preacher put it. The gospel does not make bad people good. The gospel makes dead people alive. I'm going to press in on this a little bit more and talk about the sin that we are dealing with before God. Uh, This was an illustration that came from a good friend of mine. Her name is Chelsea. She's an English teacher in in, um, Santiago, Chile in South America. 
And she teaches sin to her students like this. You can do this exercise with me right now. She teaches her students, think of the number of times that you do wrong in a day, where where you say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, think the wrong thing. That's a sin. Once you got that number down on a piece of paper, multiply it by seven. And you've got the number of sins that you're dealing with and that you've got to deal with so that you can be right with God. Those are the number of sins in a week. And you take that number, maybe you need your calculator at this point, you take that number and you multiply it by 52. Now you've got the number of things that you've got to deal with before God in a year. And you take that number and you multiply it by the number of years that you've been alive and you've got the number of sins total that you have to deal with to be right with God. And she talked about that. And she talked about how the faces of her students went white. And this is just scratching the surface. This is just scratching the surface of how serious our sin is before God. I'm going to press in on this one more time. I'm going to read you a poem from the great poet John Donne. This is maybe his best known poem. He's asking questions to God here. He says, God, will you forgive the sin in which I started, although it was already done before? Will you forgive that sin in which I run, although I do deplore it? When thou hast done, thou hast not done what I have more. God, will you forgive the sin through which I have made others to sin? Will you forgive that sin which I did shun a year or two? God, when thou hast done, thou hast not done, for I still have more. The thrust of the poem is that God... You've forgiven me, but I keep on sinning. Without Jesus, this is what it's like. Dead in sin. With a problem that we cannot fix ourselves. But it is by grace we have been saved. It's undeserved love with which God loved us. This is what Paul is saying. He's pointing out to us in this text, okay, this is who you are without Christ, but this is who Christ is for you. And this is how big your problem with sin actually is. And this is how big the grace of God really is. I told you I only have one goal with this morning's sermon, and that's that God's grace would grow in your heart. And I'm pushing hard on this sin so that we can have a little bit of self-realization. Because self-knowledge leads to knowledge of God's grace and knowledge of how big our personal problem is with sin leads us to know how great God's grace has been personally for us. Because it is by grace that you have been saved. I pushed hard on sin, now I'm going to push hard on grace. Grace is a completely different way of thinking about love. When we think about love, we think about loving something for a reason. When I say I love pizza, and I do, I love pizza because pizza is delicious. And when I say I love coffee, I love coffee because it wakes me up in the morning. And when I say that I love the sun, it means that I love the sun because it gives me light. 
And when I say I love my wife, I, I say I love my wife because she makes me who I am. And I say I love my kids because their little smiles light up my life. That's how love works. That's not how grace works. Grace begins with something unlovable, right? Maybe this illustration will work. Maybe it won't. <laughs> Here's what grace would look like in the real world if we were to love things that were unlovable. If I love things that are unlovable, then I love mosquitoes. And I love really bad days. And I love car crashes. And I love disease. I love the coronavirus. I love corruption. And I love cancer. And God loves you. Even the you that was dead in sin. See, that's what grace looks like. And God acted on that grace too. I'm going to point this out to you here that these verbs that I'm about to read happened already. They are in the past tense. Paul says that God raised you up with Christ and seated you in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. He already did that. I want you to reflect on that with me. That what God has done is he has connected you unbreakably with Jesus' resurrection and with Jesus' ascension. He's done that already for you. And Jesus, he already did that too. What did he do? He rose from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, he showed himself to his disciples. And then what did he do? He, he ascended into heaven and he sat down. And I'll ask you this question, why does anybody sit down? We sit down to rest. To rest. After Jesus did all his work here on earth, he, he ascended into heaven and he sat down to rest, and I'm so excited to share that with all of you because I think all of you at some level are spiritually exhausted. Whether you're spiritually exhausted from dealing with the past year and a half or whether you're spiritually exhausted from living in life, in a life of sin, in a world of sin, I'm excited to share this with you because God already raised you up with Christ so that you could rest. What do you do after you go out on a long hike uh, in the Columbia River Gorge? You sit down to rest, and God has seated you so that you can rest. It's a festival service today. Your pastor's amped up on here, and I'm going to get a little bit feisty with you on this because God has seated you with Christ so that you can rest. And I'm going to get feisty with you about that. Sit down. Rest. God seated you at Jesus' right hand so that you could rest. So sit down. Why are you carrying around the weight of the world? Sit down. Rest. God has already carried it for you. 
And why are you walking around with a heavy conscience with all kinds of things that you think God hasn't forgiven? Sit down, rest, it has been forgiven already. And why are you walking around with anxiety wondering whether or not you can be loved by God? Sit down, rest, you have been loved perfectly. And now I'm going to go to battle in your hearts here this morning. I'm going to get feisty one more time with you this morning. I want to break down a barrier that I think all of us have in our hearts. It's a belief that we all have. It's this. That deep down in our souls, there is a part of us that has seen the sins that we have done and is unwilling to believe that those sins can be forgiven. And there is a part of us deep down that is unwilling to give that guilt away to anyone because we feel like we have to bear it ourselves. If that is in you today, then I'm going to get feisty with you. You got to get over that. You got to get over yourself. You got to get over that sin. Yes, you are a great sinner. It's the one thing that you're good at. It's the one thing that we are all good at. We are all great sinners. You are not greater than God. You got to get over that. And yes, we all have huge sins in our past that we're wondering whether can be, they can be forgiven. Those things, they are not greater than the grace of God. There is no chance of that. You have to get over them. Because God seated you at God's, at Jesus' right hand so that you can rest. So sit down. Rest. That's what grace feels like. It means true rest in your heart because you have been saved in Christ Jesus. Today is a day we call Reformation Day. It's a day that we remember our heritage of, of, of Scripture alone revealing Jesus to us and, and faith alone, which is the only thing that, that brings this grace into our lives. I want to share with you exactly what happened on this day, October 31st, on which we celebrate. It was 540. Three, 504 years ago now that, that Martin Luther went out and he had a list of 95 statements, theses, that he nailed to the door of his church in Wittenberg, Germany, so that all of the people of the town could look at them. Do you know why he did that? It's because he wanted people to see the grace of God for themselves. And over the years... Martin Luther, he grew more and more in the grace of God and he wrote dozens and dozens of pamphlets and, and he actually translated the Bible into German, into the people's language for the first time in history. And the, the Reformation, the movement of the Reformation took off. Do you know why it took off? It's because people were seeing with their own eyes and understanding in their own hearts that there is love that is unconditional that they truly can rest in their hearts. They were seeing grace for the first time and they were not willing to let go of it. 
Over time, the church started pushing back against the Reformation, and they brought Martin before a council of the, the emperor of Europe and his ruling council, and they said to him, you must take back everything that you have written, or the church is going to fall apart. And Martin stood before that council and he knew that if he didn't take it all back, his life was basically going to be forfeit. But he stood there and he said, I cannot and I will not take it back. Even though he knew it was probably going to cost him his life. Do you know what gives someone the strength to do that? It's because he knew in his heart that no matter what happened to him, the grace of God would carry him home to his Savior's side in heaven. He knew that he was saved by grace, and so he was willing to stand up for that grace. It is by grace you have been saved. Everyone, this is it. This is it. This is what has been parsed and preached and analyzed and analogized and poeticized and prayed over. This is the heart of the gospel. This is the centrality of Christ. This is the epicenter of grace. This is it. This is grace alone. Grace that brings life into death. Grace that allows you to truly rest in your heart. This is it. Grace alone. Undeserved. You are forgiven. You are loved. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are Lord of heaven and earth, and you, Lord, all things come together. Lord, you sat down at the right hand of God, having finished your perfect work on our behalf. Sit us there by faith today. Rest us in your grace and teach us how to walk for you. In your name we pray, amen.